In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. I don't know if you know this by now, but the Diamondbacks are going to the National League Championship Series. Yep, they are. They are the Fighting Lavellos going to the NLCS. So it seemed like a good time to reflect. We reflected a little bit yesterday, brought back your Tori Lavello interview about convincing his team that they could actually win. Go check that out. That's on the Baseballs and Boring page, BIB Vault. All right, today, another one. A conversation we had, or I had, with Mike Hazen. Mike Hazen, obviously, the president of baseball operations for the Arizona Diamondbacks and a guy who, in the offseason, signed Corbin Carroll to an eight-year, $111 million contract after he just played about 30-something games the year before in the major league. That's it. Eight years, $111 million. You know what? It's worked out really well. Corbin Carroll is tearing it up. Yep. And it's going to be fun to watch them in the NLCS. It's going to be fun to watch these Diamondbacks. But we're going to keep the Arizona content coming along with all the other teams. At BB Isn't Boring, Twitter, Instagram, all of it. So here you go. Here's my conversation that includes, of course, some good ketchup-flavored potato chip talk with the chief decision-maker for the Diamondbacks, Mike Hazen. All right, Mike Hazen, how are you? Hey, Rob. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Good to see you. Let's go. You you haven't aged a bit. (laughs) I have. You live in a a stress-free life, it seems. I am. Yeah, just unbelievable. It's it's, Well, listen, it's a good day uh, to be here talking with you. And I'm just going to cut right to the chase, what everybody wants to know. We've had on a bunch of GMs on this Baseballs and Boring podcast. I, I know that everyone's talking about it out there in Arizona, right? Correct? Baseball not being boring? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, there I you never go. thought it was boring, but yeah, let's go down. All right. Way. Well, well, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you at some point, why isn't baseball boring? And I've had a couple of good answers, honestly, Mike, in the last week. I had Anthony Volpe who had said, uh, well, I don't even, I don't associate with people putting those two words together. I thought that was a good one. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've just had it all over. So I'm going to ask you a little bit later, but more importantly, we've had on a bunch of GMs. Some of you, a lot of them are your good friend, Ben Sherrington and, and, uh, had on. So Alex on, Alex Anthopoulos, it was a huge debate. He kicked this off. I had proclaimed that ketchup flavored potato chips are the most disgusting food item in the world. And I've never seen a a baseball executive more passionate about a subject in my life than uh, when Alex said that, like, this may have been the greatest food item in the world. 
First, first things first, where do you stand on ketchup flavored potato chips? This is a ridiculous question. It's a great question. <laughs> first off, who, who eats potato chips anymore? Come on, man. Like, we're all getting older, right? You got to be careful the amount of potato chips you're eating, right? Like, I mean, we work in a very stressful game. We all have stressful jobs. Like, you, you, you got to replace the potato chips at some point. I hate to say it. Like, I, 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 younger, I get it. Like, I push the button. Like, I, I'm rolling the dice. I get my blood work back every year. It gets worse and worse and worse. I'm sure yours isn't any better. Dump the potato chips and eat something a little healthier. Not trying to go, you know, I, I have my vices. We all have our vices. But the potato chips, man, you can give up the potato chips. I know. And, so and there's nothing better than a Dorito, okay? If I'm going to go with a potato chip, there's no potato chip. It's a Dorito. But if you made me pick a potato chip, salt and vinegar is the only kind of potato chip you should be eating. Ketchup flavored? Come on, man. Come on. And he, <laughs> I think he, that was a show. That was a show. There's no way Alex is eating ketchup flavored potato Oh, chip. well, okay. There's, there's a lot to pick through there. First off, as you can tell by my physique, I don't eat potato chips. And so, but I hey, walk. What do you eat? Costco birthday cakes? I, I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> I love Costco birthday cakes. No offense to Costco if they want to be a sponsor. But I, I, will, <laughs> I will say this. So, and you know, you know Pedroia's line. You, hey, what's up? Your cholesterol. You know that line, of course. <laughs> right. um, but I'm surprised he's not sitting next to you like Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon forever, right? <laughs> which, which, by the way, by the way, the the first text that I get from you in about five years stem from a, a a video that I put up in from Pedroia. Like if if, if this is what it takes, if Pedroia if Pedroia has done a lot of great things in this game of baseball, but maybe his greatest accomplishment was just to say something on a video on a tweet that got you to text me. Right? Correct. You okay? Okay. So some context on that. You you intentionally misled your audience okay you put dustin pedroia in a certain frame there that was good good you put him in a you know a, a, a more flattering frame oh well, a, a pg frame okay? okay he doesn't live his life in pg he's been rated r since the day he was born okay like if it's if you want to get the real dustin pedroia you want to get the real what well, we all see when it's not going right you 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 had that and you chopped it and i <laughs> i thought you did a disservice to your audience by chopping it Listen, it's fair. It's it's that's of all the things that you've said so far, that is the most fair comment that you've made. What is you're changing the world in one of the greatest personalities in baseball that's ever existed? That was my concern. <laughs> we are not doing a service to the game. It is true. If, if we're going to talk about baseball, we talked about this people being more personality, and we've been harping on more colored and cleats. Well, okay, forget about the color and the cleats. Let's go with more Dustin Bedroya getting spicy. Although, you know, listen, well, you know as well as I do, you can't you can't release the full Pedroia. Okay, can- I I think I can give a fairly PG version of Dustin. He came in and spoke to us last year. We were talking, we were talking about this story in the in Tori's office a few days ago, and these stories never get old. We tell the same stories over and over and over again. As you as you know, right? We say the same things over and over again. So somebody came into him when he was and said, "Hey, can you sign this baseball for me?" And he and and while on the baseball, can you put sort of your all your major awards? And he's like, I'm going to need a basketball if I'm going to put all my major <laughs> awards on here. OK, buddy, it's not going to fit under a baseball. So that, that's who he is. Right. And he does it. He does it immediately on cue. No thinking about it. No force. Like it's that's what's in the front of his brain at that exact moment. Like you can't make that up. 
Can't make it up. <laughs> I know. And I mean, when he was with the Red Sox spring training this year, I said, are you going to go hit? He's like, no, because if I do, they're going to offer to sign me. And, and so course. I can't. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, oh, what's that, Dustin? Oh, 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 you don't want to get on camera? Oh, okay. All right. Sorry All right. I sidetracked your entire podcast. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. This is this is what people want. Um, and by I'm gonna more importantly, before we get to baseball, I do have to to go back to the potato chip conversation. I'm not saying eating the potato chips. I, I was at that stage in my life, yes. It was like the 15 Diet Cokes and the potato chip bag of potato chips like every inning. I understand that. Like We uh, we understand it's a different world and we have to be more vigilant when it comes to this. What I'm saying is that when you walk by a bag that says ketchup-flavored potato chips, you cannot not try that. And so so when we talked about Anthopolis, it's a it's a cultural thing. Like it's a it's a Canadian thing. And I'm not being I'm not stereotyping. This is a very st- sure you are. No, I'm You're not. An international incident right now. <laughs> it's, he, I've talked to other people from Canada and Alex is obviously from Canada who say, like, this is the most delicious item in the world. It is so disgusting. So 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 anyway, the takeaway is that. So far, we have documented that there is one GM in baseball who actually likes ketchup flavored potato chips. Got it. All right. All right. All right. We, okay. We got that. That's a, we're, we're covering some major. We, we've solved a lot of worlds. <laughs> right. You really have. So uh, I'll just say it this way. I've eaten a lot of disgusting things in my life. Like you can't really disgust me with sort of putting foods together. I mix foods together. Like no problem. I will take two separate things. Put it in one bowl, put it all together and eat it. And I think it tastes more delicious. So putting two things that I do like, potato chips and ketchup, like I could see the, the intrigue. I just, you know, I look, I walk by the potato chip aisle. I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem with the potato chip aisle. I have a major problem in the candy aisle. Okay. You walk me down that ri- row in a, in a pharmacy and you see all those boxes of candy. I, that, that's where, that's where I start to twitch a little bit. Okay, so we're gonna save that the Halloween podcast for Halloween next year. Um, what? Who is? But who is the worst eating um, executive that you've ever seen? Baseball executive. Who is a baseball executive? You say I, I, I'm not answering that question. Come on, that, that is ridiculous. Come on, you, you wanted you wanted me to be full disclosure with my Pedroia videos, and now I, you're I, holding I mean, back. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus on that. We're 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 not a very healthy group in well, general. Um, you know, the, the, the times you eat, the way you eat, like the people that eat well are the ones that stand out. It's not the other way around. Okay. So I'm sure 25 of us all fit into one bucket and there's five more that aren't eating ketchup flavored potato chips. All right. Well, we had Jerry DePoto on. He didn't look like he was eating any potato chip. He, he's, no, he's probably in the five. Yeah. Right? He's in, he's so in we'll the go five. the other direction. You'll see, you'll end up starting. Right, give, give, give me, give me four others. Give me the four. Chris Antonetti for sure. Like, okay. He does not put anything bad into his body. This is better than, by the way, this is better than identifying the the five guys in Joe Kelly's Fight Club. The five most fit GMs in baseball. So we got Depoto, Antonetti. Who yeah. else? Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. This, this by, the, by, by the way, this would be a great race. Like we see the video of the race with Gretzky and Sugar Ray Leonard and Bjorn Borg. This would be a great race. The 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 forty yard dash with the, with the GMs. So can you give me one other? The fact that you can't come up with one sort of disturbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Ross, I mean, Ross is probably up there too. 
Okay. Yeah. But, okay. But everyone growing up in that Cleveland area tree, like it, 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 there was some indoctrination going on, right? It was a little cultish with regard to how you had to exercise and work out. So All you right. can see that. It wasn't so much in Boston when I got to Boston. That wasn't necessarily the MO. <laughs> yeah. uh, you were all, you guys were all young. Your metabolism was like, it, yeah. it, it was yeah. never better. Uh, all right. Corbin Carroll. <laughs> all right, so. Who eats like you have never seen in your life. Oh, so ooh, oh, no, big, no, no, no. big no, eater. Very health conscious. Yes. Oh, really? This yeah, is why you're five. He'd be number one. Oh, oh, he, he Corbin Carroll uh, and four other GMs, the fittest that's people right. in that, baseball. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and this is clearly why you signed him to an extension. So this, all about this, dietary habits. This, this was this was the this was the thing that said, you know, we're right on the edge. Show me how much you've eaten your spinach, your broccoli, and your that's squash. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, is that is that it? Is that his yeah, thing? That's one of the things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I they, they didn't have that back in two thousand five. Yeah, turmeric, anti-inflammatory. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of. Is this yeah. in the, is this in the Diamondbacks clubhouse? This stuff? Maybe, maybe not. Oh. Well, I can't give away. I can't give away secrets. Wow, the Lavello Hazen effect. Not the Lavello Hazen. (laughs) We're eating the quesadillas. Okay. Can I? Can you get? Can you pull Tori in the room and ask him to spell those vegetables that you just said? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, I asked to the baseball. So I had asked. asked, Speaking of Alex Anthopoulos, uh, he signed a bunch of extensions along the lines of what sort of you did with Corbin. I, I asked this question because I'm kind of interested. When was the first, do you remember the moment where you said, Hey, you know what? I think it might be a good idea to sign this guy to an extension. And I think that, uh, who was it? Oh, I know. When I asked Apoto this with Julio Rodriguez, he said when he was 18, when he was 18. Now, maybe you were like in a Chili's in Tempe. I don't know. Again, a, Poor eating habits or whatever. No offense to chilies, but uh, do, you, do, you, do you do you do you remember? Do you remember? You no, know, you can the, choose to have a salad at chilies, right? That, like, that's true. You don't have to go with the fajitas. Like just that's saying. true. So so when you were having your Cobb salad at chilies, was that what? When was the first time that you actually thought, "Hey, this is a good"? I mean, you think about it, but when was the first time those words came out of your mouth? Maybe to somebody else. I don't know. I don't know that we had an exact moment like that. I, I think when we drafted him. Um, the things we, we felt very fortunate to draft him. You know, he fell where we were relative to how we saw him as a player. So that was one of those days on draft day. I think he went 16th. You know, you're kind of keeping your fingers crossed for 15 picks. He was definitely in our top couple, um, that we were hoping was going to, we're going to fall all the way down, which when you're picking there in the draft, you're pretty much, you know, you know, you're dealing with a small percentage that that's actually going to happen. And it used to happen a little bit more back in the day when there was a little more, you know, bonus manipulation type stuff. And that doesn't go on anymore, which is great. So it's, it's, it's um so it it fell to us and and we got very fortunate to have selected him and we did a lot of work on his makeup and knew a lot of these things and honestly I I don't believe I'm sort of exaggerating this that a lot of those same characteristics and qualities he had when he walked in are the same things that we see every single day here there's a level of consistency that he's demonstrated with his discipline and attention towards becoming a great baseball player um, that only further cemented as we went through it. And and we didn't really think about doing anything like this because I don't necessarily think you do as a minor leaguer. Once he came up last year, we started talking about it last offseason about, you know, probably unlikely that it's going to happen because most of these things don't end up happening. You know, you have these ideas that you might get something done and most of them fall through uh, for, for, for various reasons, one side or the other. Um, but we wanted to at least take that risk. And, and, you know, when you open the door to these things, it is a risk because 
because if they don't get done, you know, there's a level of professionalism and, and people know sort of the business that it didn't get done, not because you don't like the player or whatever. You just couldn't come to a value. But you have opened the door and exchanged numbers to where I think a player can at least say, I turned down X amount of dollars if they didn't get a, a, a deal done, even if we didn't think it was fair. That's always a little bit of a risk in, your, in, in, in the back of your mind that when you open that door, you can't close that door back up. You can't pretend like it didn't happen. You know, if if the deal doesn't get done and the feeling is we shortchanged our offers and 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 we weren't presenting fair offers, um, those are the those are the challenges with doing the especially as early as we did it. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we felt like the longer we how we feel about the player, the longer we waited, we 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 just felt like it was going to become tougher to get a deal done, and so. We felt like we were going to put our effort into actually trying to make a deal, not not get the best deal. Obviously, um, you know, in terms of uh, of of what who 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 quote unquote won the deal, that wasn't really our intention. Our intention was to try to strike a fair deal for how we felt about the player. And then we felt like the message that sent to our clubhouse that we were starting to do some of these things. You know, there's other teams that have done more of them. We haven't. We've done a couple. We felt like, you know, we felt like it was an important step for us, given where we are. It's interesting. You talk about the the dangers of of trying and then not being able to do it. And, you know, the, I remember Mookie Betts told me, he said, the first one, the first, the hardest one to turn down, and they went to him, whatever, three or four times, well, you guys, whatever. So he said the first one was the hardest one because you never see that much money. But once you get past that, I would imagine the player, to your point, the player is sort of, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Um, have you seen that? Like, have you seen where, like, where you make the initial offer and then sort of this, I don't want to say emboldened. That's not the right word. But when we go back to it, the back in the day when you were with the Red Sox, I remember Papelbon, I'm going to, I'm going to play this out all the way. Some guys are confident in that. Like, but could you see like guys like, after turning down the first one, sort of being emboldened, so it's like I'm going to get to the finish line here. Sure, I, I you know the challenge with this one was you know some of those typically at least in the past they're, they've they've had they're happening now I think a little sooner in their career. You know back in the in the past it would be sort of more of an arbitration extension, right? Like it would be a few years of arbitration, couple years of free agency, four or five year deals, and and you're starting to see longer deals um, gotten done at earlier ages, which. You know, the longer deal because the, the, he's younger, going to get to free agency younger. So from the team standpoint and the longer deal for a player, that makes sense. Like if I'm going to do something like this, I'd, I'd rather it, you know, be more significant and longer rather than shorter, just tying up arbitration years. So you can see the incentives to do it on, on both sides. It's interesting. You asked me that question two days ago. I was talking to a former major league player in our clubhouse and. He said that exact thing. They came to him. We were talking through sort of this exact scenario and he brought up his experience and the club had come to him with an extension and he turned down the first one and he thought he was crazy. Like he turned it down, but he's like, <laughs> I couldn't, you know, that, that next couple of days I had some sleepless nights. Like this was the most money I'd ever seen. I can't believe it. And then he's like, I turned down two or three more after that that were more. And, but I didn't feel the same way. I felt better about turning them down. So that exact same scenario did happen. In fact, where he said the first one, which was the lowest one was the hardest one to get over initially. So going forward, is that the lesson? Is that the lesson where, you know, a lot of times, you know, front offices will slow play it. 
will say, hey, you know, we want to get this. And like you said, this you don't like to say who won, who lost, but it's a business. So you slow play it in the sense of, okay, we're kind of, kind of coming lower and see if they take it. So with that experience, with with the sage advice that not only did I give you, but your that former player – Going in, do you say we got to be aggressive in that first one? Not not overly, but aggressive. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't think there's any lessons. I really don't. I think you know you try to take lessons from everything you do in this game. You make so many mistakes that you're constantly forced to address things from a lesson standpoint. Yes, um, I've made so many mistakes at this point in my career. I I I can't. I've stopped counting. Um. So I, I'm, but I'm not sure there's a lesson because each one of these is so specific to the individual, you know, like I, I, you know, we take a particular approach. We'll, we'll continue to refine that approach and think about our approach in those, in those environments. I think, you know, to me, the lesson I go back to is like the ones that we haven't done has, is that the reason they haven't gotten done or not? It, it's hard to necessarily just splice it down to that, like the first offer, because, you know, there's some people that view first offers at first offers and that that's what it's going to be. And if you keep negotiating, then that first offer kind of gets put in the rearview mirror. If you, if it's a one and done, then yeah. Like if you make a, if you make a proposal, they just say no and you don't get a counter, then yeah, maybe, maybe you didn't read, you know, the correct environment or they, they had no intention of signing a deal. And, and th- all of those things could be a play with, with, with these things. I, that's why I've always had the mindset that you just, the percentage chance you're actually even going to get one of these done is very low relative to the amount of times that we either consider exploring it or actually explore it. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, it's just not the right time for everybody, or it might not be the right time for the team to look at it in a way that the player's looking at it. And, and whatever the dynamics leading up to that contract are, or the mindset of the player wanting to go and max out dollars through arbitration and, and then just hit free agency at year six. Um, it, it's so hard to pin down. I don't really think I have, <laughs> I don't think I have enough experience in this area to really say that there's any type of blueprint that I've figured out. And you're dealing with different agencies with every one of these things too. So there's, there's not really a lot of common threads here that you can think that you could replicate a, a process is, is, and, and, and we all like to stick with a process, develop a process or try to execute a process in this world. It, I think it's pretty complicated, but. Aside from the player, this is, then there's the team aspect of it. And one of the things that Alex Anthopoulos had talked about, because obviously they've done a crap load of these, uh, and he's made a lot of good decisions, potato chips not being one of them. But it's, it's one of these things where you get this done and, and, and he felt like once you get one done like this or a few of them done, now, yeah, different agencies, different people and everything, but there is that feeling for the next one you try to do. Okay. Look at what we're doing here. We have the foundation. I don't know if, if that's how one of the benefits of this is, hey, you know what? Look at everybody. We're building the foundation, and here's an example of it. So be part of that foundation. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so we're in a different spot than the Braves are in, right? Because for the last three years, we haven't won to the extent that the Braves have won. And I think that creates a different type of environment. That's the environment we had in Boston back when we did some of those extensions, right? It was a, the feeling for some of the younger players to want to continue to build what they had grown up in, the environment that they were raised in, probably enjoying and embracing the environment that they were raised in. Um, you know, when we had that group of like Pap, Ellsbury, Petey, Uke, you know, that, that, the Johnny Lester, Clay Buckles, like that whole group that kind of in it through the years kind of got raised up together and came on the scene together. Um, 
I think that has, yes, I do think that, and, and, but it's a little different for us than it is for the Braves. You know, the Braves also have that winning, and we had that winning behind us in Boston. Uh oh, lights go off. Hold on. No, no, I see you fine. Hold on. Okay, there you go. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. man. It's it actually right. better, better right. with lights. Right? Uh, energy saving uh, procedure. Uh, yeah, like, emergency you, energy you, saving. You, you guys think of everything. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think for us, we haven't won the last few years. Our roster has rolled over. I I took some of those sort of uh, bedrock players for us, Goldie, Zach Greinke, and I traded them. Um, and made the decisions we made at the time. You know whether how you view them now, however you view them, that's fine. I view them in a certain through a certain prism. But <clears throat> when you take those guys out of your clubhouse via trade, whether you felt like you had to do it or not, it <clears throat> it leaves a, a hole. And that hole we've been trying to fill and have some players that have filled some of those holes, but not to the extent that I feel like we've needed to to consistently win. And yes, I think part of the impetus for us in getting this deal done was laying some markers down with certain players that we feel are now going to be here. And we have a good farm system of some hot, really high-end players that are going to be breaking onto our club in the next year or so and being around Corbin and not having Corbin leave halfway through that process, that this group has a chance to stay together without us having to come up with some type of contractual um, situation that that forces that to happen. Like, he's now going to be here. And so that message to me has been sent. I do think it reverberates. Um, it won't matter for every player, obviously. It just, in, in the sense that some guys are going to still want to go all the way through, and that's fine. Um, it just, we're trying to at least take some chances to keep that group together. Well, speaking of that group, and, you know, what this is another one of our favorite topics is clubhouse dynamic. And, and, you know, you've brought in some really great clubhouse leaders, some, some guys who have been around the game a long time. And I have, propose this to some guys i think that like in the last five years maybe this has become cyclical a little bit where where maybe front offices and i'm not saying you but maybe front office had devalued that guy in other words devalued the guy that maybe the production was going to be down a little bit um but it was going to teach the other guys how to get through a baseball season in favor of the guy with potential with the spin rate, whatever it is, who hadn't done it, but maybe might be something. Now I feel like I look across baseball uh, and look at rosters, and there are these guys coming into clubhouses, being prioritized, being signed. Um, first of all, do you agree with that, that maybe this has come back to where teams are looking at that as a more, maybe a little bit more important than in, in years past? Um, and it, this your take on that dynamic? I don't know that that was ever devalued. I I I understand that was a narrative that was written about. I don't think I'll speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not in the minority opinion here. I don't know that anybody that's been in the clubhouse for an extended period of time devalues that concept. We talk about it every day. We talk when things come up every day. Problems arise every day during a baseball season. They arise every day in spring training. Having guys in your clubhouse that can take pressure off the staff to deal with those things amongst themselves is a far more powerful dynamic than any staff you could put together. There's no disrespect to any man. Like I'm, I'm sure most managers would, would agree with this, that freeing the manager up to have to deal with things on a needed basis only and not on an everyday basis is a much more powerful dynamic for me. So always having those guys around and, and we saw it with some really successful teams and 
some of the challenges that those successful teams had. Like, you know, you, you read about the 2013 Red Sox and, and, and it's like, Oh, it must have just been all roses for the entire year. It wasn't roses for the entire year, right? Like it would, it took the guys like Ryan Dempster and Victorino and Napoli and Johnny Gomes and that whole group that, that, that adds so much to when we were going through some skids. I remember we got pasted in Anaheim. We were flying to Oakland or Seattle and we were not in a good spot in the middle of the summer. Like we were, we were kind of meandering along and, and I, you know, there were stories about Dempster with the group and, and the team that I'm not going to get into. Um, maybe some alternate personalities that came out on plane rides and things like that, that like, you know, I, I know it, again, it gets, it gets, it gets romanticized after you end up winning, but I think any good team has those guys that are able to deal with the psychology of the clubhouse without the manager and the coaches always getting involved. I think that's a, I don't think that was ever underappreciated in any clubhouse or team that I've ever been a part of. We didn't always do it right. I mean, we, you don't always you don't always press those buttons the right way. You, you're not always able to accomplish your goal. So, and and sometimes your team is not good enough to have it just be oh we had great veteran presence. I, I mean, that's not going to win you games necessarily on a day in a day out basis. That team was ridiculously talented too, right? Yeah. So so if they were just underperforming their talent at the current moment. Those things can get the ship righted a little bit without putting the pressure on John Farrell to have to right the ship, um, but 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 it, it it's it's definitely a dynamic that has always existed and it's something we talk about all the time. Have you seen it already? I mean, obviously, like you like you said, you brought in some guys. Have you seen that dynamic already? You have a you have a really good mix, man. Like. <laughs> I mean, from from where I'm sitting, which is across the country, um, so obviously I have a pulse on exactly what's going on with your team. But uh, but do you, have you already seen that sort of dynamic manifest itself early on? Because that talking about that 2013 team, Mike, out of the get go, those guys, Gomes and Ross, and those guys, those guys sent a message from day one of spring training, right? So have you seen a little bit of that with your group? I not 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 yet. Um I think our our team is more heavily skewed younger than that team ever was, right? Like we had some young players on that team, but that was a veteran team by and large and the guys that were in the middle are established players in the middle um you know, were the star players in a lot of ways, like, you know, you know, you know who the the middle of the diamond, middle of the order hitters were on those teams that we didn't bring in from the outside. Um, I, I think our team is 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 a is a is more of a homegrown team from 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 the very beginning. Um, so I think that pervades our clubhouse quite a bit. Yes, you see little things. In, so so we haven't won or lost a game yet, so it's hard to really say like what the what the effects of what's happened so far will be. But yes, there are little things in drills that you see during spring training when guys don't do it right, that the veteran players aren't afraid to stop the drill and point those things out that, again, like the coach can do that every time. But at some point, that message gets lost or watered down and 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 a player will snap, I think, a little bit more to attention when they're being told something by Longo that they aren't told by a coach. It's just a different messenger. And I don't know how else to put it, but it's just the way it goes. Like you sort of listen to your peers in a different way than you listen to quote unquote authority figures. Right. Um, and so 
that's what we've seen, but it's still just spring training. No, I mean, I don't, there's been our, and our team is definitely a very young team. So the majority of our players are in that younger group. We're trying to encourage that younger group to kind of grow up pretty quickly and hold each other accountable. And we've been fortunate that the makeup of the guys that we have coming up, Corbin Carroll being the highlight that we've already talked about, but there are others that sort of reflect his characteristics and his work ethic and his, and his commitment. Um, I think that's going to be the basis for the strength of our team. So you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate it. And um, the last thing is, you're going to find this shocking, but Tori Lavella was on this podcast, and he was talking about, I asked him, I said, give me your speech. You know, the, the, the get everyone together speech. You know, what do you, you get in the Rudy stool? Like, what do you say? And he kind of gave it to me. He's kind of like, like, let them spend. We're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. So anyway. Was it a good speech? Like I like, you know, was did, did was it there? Because Tory can give good, because he's a genuine guy. Like like, so yeah. his speeches like actually carry something. It's not like he's not reading off a script. Was it a good speech? We talked about the speech. We talked about he does give great speeches. We talked about what's the upside of the speech on the first day of spring training with seventy five guys in camp, and we're going to break with a twenty six man roster, like. Where does that message, where is that message getting received? And oh, by the way, it's six weeks until that message gets to get put into actual, right? So we, we spoke more about maybe we shift it up this year and focus more on the next six weeks of spring training to get the most out of spring training rather than worrying about what, what goals the team that three quarters of or whatever, two thirds of whom sitting in that room at least on opening day, won't be part of that team, right? So who are you speaking to in that moment? So we spent a lot of time talking through that. And he it's it, it's a it's a it's a it's a little bit of a chiseled down version of what he said because the same things that we believed in six years ago, we still believe today. That he is a very fundamentalist in nature when it comes to baseball. That that the little things that get done on a baseball field are extremely important for him mostly on the defensive side, but certainly in some of the small executable offensive without playing small ball. Um, and those things are extremely important to him, like how we can get advantages when we're on the bases. Um, though, so he highlighted a lot of that stuff and that we were going to drill those things and we were, we were expecting everyone to pay very close detail to how they were being instructed and allowing them to be instructed. And so that was the general message. It, it probably was not as uh, Newt Rockney-ish. Oh. It was more. It was more tailored down. Don't worry. You still would have been inspired by it. I'm not okay. trying to. Okay, don't worry. But you're easily inspirable. So you're not the great audience here. Uh, like it's, it's true. It's true. I see your face. It's always like wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's great. You're, you're like a kid. Petroya, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you just told <laughs> right? me that you were so good. You were <laughs> right. Exactly. You've heard that story a thousand times, and every time he says something, you're like, "Jeez, that's incredible." <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen, uh, like I said, you've been generous with your time. Always a pleasure. And there's T-shirts on the way for your entire oh, team. Man, I'll be wearing those with pride. Uh, oh, you will. It makes your triceps pop. I mean, love free stuff. You didn't have to say that. You could just say, I really, really, I really, really like the message. Wait, of the wait, podcast. You're, you're going to charge me for the T-shirts? I should, no, I no, I no, no. no but, but obviously the underlying point of the baseballs and boring T-shirts, we want the message, but everyone likes free stuff. There's a reason why half the Red Sox team is walking around with the t-shirts it's it's not because you know they love the podcast they, they love the podcast yeah yeah, yeah. all right or bye. the podcaster yeah but. oh the, yes the, all right <laughs>